uncontrolled tongue, the lying tongue, the gossiping tongue. Welcome to Through the Bible. As we travel through the book of Proverbs, we're learning that God's Word has a lot to say about words and how a wise man should choose them carefully. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to hop aboard the Bible bus for another great study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, as we climb aboard, let's welcome Greg Harris, who's here with us to remind us of the important topics that hold us together. And we call these core values, uh, usually from time to time on these family talks, as yes. we call them. We like to talk about core values because it's very important. If you are a part of this ministry, if you're praying for us, if you're supporting it, or even if you're just listening every day, you're part of this ministry, you need to know what we stand for. Yes. Absolutely. And the main thing that we stand for or the foundation. Yes. How, how firm, firm a foundation. foundation. <laughs> oh, that was unscripted. I like yes. that. Yes. Yes. The how, how firm a foundation is the fundamental teaching of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And again, I love it because it should not work in today's TikTok yes. world. Five years, 30 minutes a day. Yeah. It, just, it shouldn't work. Well, the gospel is, uh, is a contrarian message. It's a, it's a message. It's a, it's a scandal. It's a stumbling block. We know that from the, the New Testament. Uh, but, but this is what we stand for, whether it's quote unquote successful or not. Yes. And what you want to read this, uh, great quote from Dr. McGee. Yeah. It says, uh, I never met a strong, fruitful Christian who wasn't filled to the brim with scripture. He or she has God's law on the tip of his tongue. He meditates on it. He stores it up in his heart. The Bible is essential to coming to faith in Christ and just as important to help the man of God mature and grow in his faith. If he rightly divides the word, he will choose wisely. It's just natural for him if he's made the word of God the light to his path. You know, Steve, I was just thinking about uh, how we do our work day to day. And the people that listen to us, they can tell we're friends. We like each other. Yep. We respect each other. But shocker of shockers, we occasionally don't agree, you and I. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's, you're wrong, Greg. Exactly. You, I, I know. I give yeah. you that space. I, I And I appreciate the grace <laughs> so much. But, you know, when when we don't agree, it's not just over overbearing each other with our opinion. Yeah. It's we, we discuss what does the scripture have to say about that? And that's one of the many reasons it's so important that we are filled to the brim with the word of God. Yeah. But let's get to some some great uh, responses to a question you've asked many times throughout this year. Yeah. How has God worked in your life through the study of God's word? Yeah, hopefully these will be as encouraging to you as they have been to us. It says from a listener, I'm just not afraid anymore. I used to be afraid of everything, of COVID, recent example. But before that, it was always something. But somewhere in the middle of studying the Psalms, I realized I wasn't afraid anymore. Dr. McGee said, my verse shouldn't be, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Psalm 56.3. It should be, I trust in you and never will I be afraid, mm. Psalm 56.11. That's so good. Powerful, powerful. Here's another one. I learned this year that we are not the theme of the Bible. It's not a handbook for us. It's a love story about Jesus. Mm. God loves the world. God loves his son. God loves us. So he gave his son and Jesus loves his father. So he obeyed. And you can't study Jesus long before you see he loves us too. We do get practical helps in how to live in the Bible, but mostly it's God's story of love. Mm. Here's Here. another one. I learned in our study of Hebrews 4 that Jesus sympathizes with my weakness 
And because of that, I can come boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and find grace when I need it. Because of Jesus' victory over temptation, I can go to Jesus anytime and know he will help me. Most often, he will bring answers through his word. That's why the Bible bus is so important to me. Wonderful. And I think we have time to hear from this next one, which I really love. I never knew it could be such a privilege to be part of a team taking God's word to the world. Hmm. I wish I could give more, be more, do more, pray more, you know, just more. (laughs) But, But Jesus says, let me be your more. He is everything to me and the rest just spills over. Thanks for letting me be on the team of taking God's whole word to the whole world. Wow. Such an encouragement. And, and I would encourage you as well. It, It is a privilege to be a part of a team. And we love the fact that those listening feel like they are, especially those on the world prayer team, which you could become a part of today by going to ttb.org forward slash pray. (laughs) Those folks in particular are committed to the ministry. And and we know other people are listening as well. But uh, Greg, we're almost (laughs) out of time. So much to say, but we want to pray. So let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we're just full of joy listening to how your word is changing lives. And we trust you and praise you that you will continue to do that until Jesus comes. In his name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Proverbs 21 on Through the Bible. And I'm reading now Proverbs 21, verse 22. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. What he's saying here, and I had to rush through as we were at the end of the broadcast last time, and I wanted to include some other things that would make it very clear what he's saying here. He is saying that wisdom is superior to brute force, and that wisdom that cometh from above, and that a man may be able to put up an impregnable fortress and think that it cannot be taken, and yet there will be a man smart enough to figure how to get in there. And you remember the illustration I used of old Belshazzar inside the walls of Babylon. In fact, it had an inner wall, and that was around the palace. He thought he was perfectly safe because those walls of Babylon just couldn't be penetrated. And, of course, there were men on guard. But you see, Gabrius, a general in the enemy's camp, was an engineer. And that branch of the Euphrates that went through the city, more or less like a canal, Why, he cut it off and put it back in the mainstream, and then under the wall where the river flowed, he marched his army. That army flowed into the city, and the city was taken before they knew it. Napoleon, you remember, made the statement, God is always on the side of the bigger battalions. He's wrong, because at Waterloo, he should have won. He was a very brilliant general. But you see, he wasn't quite smart enough. And he had the ability to move artillery speedily. But what happened was it got bogged down in the mud. It was old General Mud that really stopped Napoleon as he went toward Warsaw that time. And what happened was that the cavalry just stumbled over and fell over the artillery because it was stuck in the mud. So it's a matter of what God is saying here that A great many men not only depend in wealth, but upon brute force. But that will never be a good enough protection. Now, in verse 23, he says, 
Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. And again, it's this matter of using the tongue aright. Because he's already said, as you know, that if you want friends, you must show yourself friendly. And that would mean that you do have to talk, but you need to be very careful. And we do need friends. There's a great deal said here about friends and about enemies. And it was Emerson who put it like this. He says, he who has a thousand friends has not a friend to spare. And he who has one enemy will meet him everywhere. That is so true that we do need to show ourselves friendly, but we need to be very careful that we control our tongue. And that is the thing he's emphasizing here. Now he says, verse 24, Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. I think that is a tremendous statement. God has apparently more to say here about the abuse and use of the tongue and more about the proud than anything else. These are two things, that uncontrolled tongue, that lying tongue, that gossiping tongue, and that proud look. God says he hates it, and he makes no apology for saying that. Now, verse 25, we read, "...the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor." And there's quite a bit been said here about the lazy man. And slothful, S-L-O-T-H-F-U-L, slothful is the lazy man. And then verse 26, he coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. And that lazy man, he spends his time in covetousness, and he tries to use devious devices to get a hold of money without working. And there are a lot of folk that are doing that, of course. And the thing is that the righteous man is not thinking so much of getting as of giving, and God will bless him. That is the thought here. Then in verse 27, the sacrifice of the lawless is abomination, how much more when he bringeth it with a wicked purpose. Now, God says a lawless man, and a lawless man is one, that has not bowed himself to God and come God's way. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, and that is the lawless. He goes his way and ignores God's way and repudiates it. Now, that man it doesn't mean he's not religious. He may join the church, and he generally does. Puts up quite a front. And so he goes to church and sings the hymns and may even pray, I don't know. But when he brings it, even with a wicked purpose. Suppose that he makes a gift, and he has a mixed motive, a low motive in doing it. That even makes it worse. And that is the meaning of the proverb. Then verse 28, A false witness shall perish, and a man that heareth shall speak constantly. A lawless man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright he establisheth his ways. Have you ever noticed that in the trial of the Lord Jesus, this false witness appears? And wouldn't you hate to have been one of those false witnesses? Let me turn over to chapter 26 of Matthew and read at verse 59. Listen to this. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought 
false witness against Jesus to put him to death. But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses. And the other false witnesses, they bore testimony, but it wasn't pertinent at all. But these two, they really lied. Now go over to chapter 27, verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. In other words, you are right. And then verse 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word insomuch the governor marveled greatly. And you remember John tells us that he took the Lord Jesus on the inside and actually asked for his cooperation so he could let him off. But he was too much of a politician to let him off. He wanted to stay in office over in Israel. And so he finally gave in. But he knew these were false witnesses. Now, that is a trial that stands on the pages of history as being the most ignominious of all. Wouldn't you hate to have been one of those false witnesses? He shall perish. That is the statement here in the book of Proverbs. Now, verse 30, There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against Jehovah. Now, this is a remarkable verse of Scripture. And the fact of the matter is, it is so remarkable that I want to turn over to a verse in Second Corinthians that may have escaped your attention because it's a remarkable verse and it's found over in Second Corinthians, the 13th chapter, at verse 8. For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. There's no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against Jehovah. Now, we get alarmed today, at least I used to. I can remember that I went to a liberal college and liberal seminary, and I thought that my ministry was sort of like ringing a fire bell every Sunday morning to defend the Word of God. And these two verses were called to my attention. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against Jehovah. Don't you know that God's going to be able to defend himself? And he'll be able to defend his word. And here we're told we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Now, if you want to do something, do it positively. Accentuate the positive and then let the negative alone. You don't need to defend the Bible. God will take care of that. He's asked us to proclaim it. And so I have a letter of a man. I must confess I have filed it over here in the round file, which we call the wastebasket here, and I didn't even read it all. He is trying to show to me that the Bible is not the Word of God to begin with, and I say it very, very candidly. It's a most asinine argument, but I say, ho, ho, hum. Let's go on to something else because of the fact that that man apparently has a hang-up, and that hang-up is some sin in his life. For if he will turn to Christ, he does want to get rid of his sin. He does want to save you, and he'll turn to Christ. It'll be amazing how those problems will be smoothed out 
that seem to disturb him. And after all, they're not too important at all. Then he goes on to say here, a horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of Jehovah. In other words, David learned, and he made the statement, though a host encamp against me, yet will I not fear. Well, why? Because God would deliver him. And you remember, old Asa cried out, and he said, Lord, it's nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. How wonderful that is to trust God. The horse is prepared against the day of battle. And it's well to be prepared. A strong man armed keepeth his house, the Lord Jesus said. But safety is a Jehovah. You keep your powder dry, but be sure your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're resting in him. Now, as we come to chapter 22, this is a chapter we'll more or less breeze through, if you do not mind. And he says here, a good name, and the word good could be left out. A name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. That means a name. What kind of a name? It's quite interesting that David, you know, had a group of mighty men. And these mighty men of David were actually, they were great men. And they made a name for themselves. We're told concerning one of them, Benaiah, in verse 20 of Second Samuel 23, it says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. Now, a lot of people don't go to church when it snows, but this man slew a lion. And we're told here, verse 22, These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was put up there in a class with just three of them as the top echelon of David's mighty men. And a name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Want to make a name. And a name is not just what your parents called you when you were born. It's the name that you make in a group. What are you known as? If you're known as a child of God, and I revert back to what we've said before, you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Then we have in verse 2 here, the rich and poor meet together. Jehovah is the maker of them all. Now, that means that before God, all men are on the same plane. Now, if you want to talk about a universal brotherhood of man, you be very careful what you say. The Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does teach that all of us are a member of a human family and that we all have a depraved nature, a nature that's alienated from God. And we better even watch each other to tell the truth because we can't be trusted. And we are sinners. And God has had to do something about it. That is, if he wants to save us. And he has done something about it. Now, it can be said, he hath made of one blood all nations of man for to dwell on the face of the earth. And we all stand on that basis before God. But we become the children of God. 
That is the sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not because you're a human being, but because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. And John mentions the fact of the children of God and the children of the devil. They're two families. The Lord Jesus said to the religious rulers, you of your father the devil. So there are two families actually in the world. And the universal fatherhood of God is not really true. Now by creation, and that's what he's talking about here, because the new birth is not the teaching of the Old Testament. Now we have verse 3, a prudent man foreseeth evil, hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, the man that's smart, do you want to be smart? Do you want to be that then, for goodness sake, make arrangements for the future. And all these insurance companies say, now you want to prepare for the future. Make arrangements for your old age. Make arrangements to take care of your children and that sort of thing. Yes, but what about the next step, brother? What about the future? And there's a great deal here that is said about this in this particular chapter. And I'm going to probably just emphasize that rather than to go into some of these other. And that is just simply this. We need to make it very clear that when a man steps over and he's made no preparation, that man is a very foolish man. And the Scripture calls him a fool. And I will tell this in closing, and this will be about what we're going to take up in this particular chapter here. And that is, when I was a young man in Nashville, Tennessee, I was very far from the Lord for a while. I remember a young couple, they were a fine young couple, they belonged to a rich family, at a dance one night, and they announced their engagement. And then later on, they were married. They made the society page and all that. And they had bought a very lovely southern home, big pillars out in front, white columns there. And they had searched everywhere for antiques, and they had furnished that place so lovely. And then the day came for their marriage. Oh, they had worked so hard preparing that home. And then they were married, and they took their wedding trip. On their honeymoon, they went over to the Smokies, the Great Smokies, over in East Tennessee and North Carolina. And leaving Gatlinburg and going up into the mountains, they went around a curve. And they were hit, knocked off the highway, down a precipice, the thing caught fire. They were both killed. I used to, later on, after I was saved, I'd go by that home for years. It was not even occupied. The parents just closed the door and left it there. I'd ride by there, and I'd think, my, what preparation... They made to live down here, and they never lived in it one hour, not even one minute. And yet they went into eternity unprepared. May I say to you, this is a tremendous chapter here. This chapter 22 that we're looking at. And it speaks of these things that are so important, of making preparation for eternity. And then we have here... We are to train up a child concerning the way he should go when he is old. He'll not depart from it. That's in verse 6. Well, what he's saying is just simply this. The child has a way that God wants him to go, and you to find that out. You're not to bring up the child in the way you think he should go, but the way God wants him to go. And that is the meaning there. That means the parent should find that out. 
And then we find here in verse 8, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his wrath shall fail. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And that is a verse that has occurred again and again. And here we have that lazy man again in verse 13. The lazy man saith, There is a lion without I shall be slain in the street. Believe me, he has a lot of excuses. It's cold outside, and he's not going to plow because it's cold. And there are many other excuses. And now he says there's a lion out there. And I think he's lying, by the way, about that also. But he's lazy. And then verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Discipline is needed, but we need to be very careful that we not provoke our children to anger. That is because we are angry. Our time is up, so until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Proverbs 22:28 says, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Does this even apply to us today? Well, it totally does. You can find out next time as we continue to make our way through the Bible. And until then, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or at ttb.org. And we're grateful for your company on the Bible Bus today and your partnership this year in taking the whole word to the whole world. Jesus grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.